Now, the baptism of fire, I believe it can be taken two ways. First, it can refer to God's punishment, purging, purifying fire on this world, upon unbelievers, but also that purging and purifying work in a believer's heart. So the baptism of fire, for me as a believer, say, Lord, let it burn, that you'd purify my heart and wash away my sins. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today, I want us to see a message entitled, The Lamb of God, John 1, 19 through 34. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23, the question, who are you? Verses 24 through 28, and the question, why do you baptize? And then the Lamb of God, verses 29 through 34. John goes on to talk more about Jesus himself than the baptism that he was doing. He said, I baptize with water, but there's stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. John bore witness back in verse 15. This is he of whom I said, who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. We looked at this last week too. He repeats it again this week. John's ministry began before Jesus. But he did not know, we discover, he did not know that Jesus was the Messiah when he began his ministry. Even though John knew Jesus. We have to believe that they bumped into each other. Remember that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. Mary was with Elizabeth when John was born three months into Mary's pregnancy. We have to believe that they knew of one another, that perhaps even at some of the feast days in Jerusalem, they ran around together, played with one another as children growing up. But John didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He was preferred before me, but he goes on to say, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. John considered himself unworthy to even untie the shoes of the Messiah. You know, in that culture, that role was the role of the 
lowest slave in the house to deal with the feet, to untie the sandal straps, we would say today, but for us, you know, taking off the socks, the shoes, the washing the feet, but it reminds us of what Jesus did for his disciples in John 13. He took the role of the lowest slave there at that last Passover meal. John said, I'm unworthy to take that role. And yet Jesus took that role. He realized that the Lord was mightier than him. In Luke 3.16, it says, One mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John said, my baptism is of water. There's one who's coming after me. He's going to have a baptism that is of the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism of repentance, as I said, different than believers' baptism, but similar in some ways. They both use water as their element. One was looking forward toward the Messiah's coming. The baptism that we do today, it's looking back to the work that Jesus has already accomplished. It speaks about the change that he has already worked in our hearts by believing in him. John's baptism was a sign of the people's hearts turning toward God. Therefore, the baptism of repentance was a baptism of preparation, preparing people's hearts to receive Jesus, the only one who could truly wash away their sins. Concerning the baptism of Jesus, the element, the Holy Spirit, and fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can refer to, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that the Holy Spirit becomes that seal, that guarantee of a believer's life, that we are redeemed. But I also believe the Bible teaches of a further baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we read about in Acts 1.5, where Jesus talked about the disciples being baptized not too many days from now. In fact, we find that the disciples, after Jesus died and rose from the grave, in John 20.22, 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Spirit. And so they were believers who were Spirit-filled. But to these same disciples, Jesus would say in Luke 2449, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on the high. So they'd received the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit, but he talked about a further filling of the Holy Spirit. Wait and tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power upon high. Now the baptism of fire, I believe it can be taken two ways. First, it can refer to God's punishment, purging, purifying fire on this world, upon unbelievers, but also that purging and purifying work in a believer's heart. So the baptism of fire, for me as a believer, say, Lord, let it burn, and you'd purify my heart, and wash away my sins. Beyond the Jordan, in verse 28, he talks about where they were baptizing in Bethabara, Beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The reason I, I just stopped for a moment, there's a couple of things about this verse. I normally would have just skipped over it. But the Texas Receptus, where we get the King James and the New King James uses as well, they have it read as Bethabara, which means ferry house or uh, a crossing. So we almost think of a ford where 
where people would come to cross the river. With that in mind, thinks about John baptizing in a place where it's a ferry crossing. Well, people would be showing up, right? This is where you get across the river. So it kind of makes sense in my mindset. And that just stood out to me because John baptized in this deserted place. And then we read Bethabara, which means ferry house or a crossing. Well, maybe it wasn't quite as remote as we think. We don't know the area. They theorize where the area might have been, but we really don't know the area that John baptized. We just know it's on the Jordan River. Now, the majority text where the majority of newer translations are translated today, they have their Bethania, house of dates. Bethany, we know it in Scripture. And that was near. It's only a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. It's not too close to the Jordan River as well. So questionable about that one. But it's a, a village that's just a few miles south, southeast of Jerusalem and not near the Jordan River. You're beyond the Jordan, the exact location, though not known to us today. But the ministry itself, the physical location, not as important as the ministry itself. I think it's amazing that John, he, he was an odd guy in Scripture. They depict him as wearing strange clothes, eating strange food, preaching a tough message, and yet the people flocked to hear him. Hearts were changed and magnified. He didn't preach a seeker-friendly message, yet people came seeking repentance through faith in God. John's baptism became an outward sign of the inward work that God was doing in people's lives. And I think it's important for us, believers' baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit being key doctrines in Scripture, but something that also reveals the work that God is doing in our lives. When we do that public baptizing, it's a testimony of what God is doing in that individual's life. When John came baptizing, he preached the word of God and people came. And I think there was just the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from the move of the Holy Spirit in the life of a people, the life of a church, the Holy Spirit drawing people to a place that you will not truly have an effective work of God. You can have a work that might appear to be grand and great, but if the Spirit is missing, all you have is the work of your hands. And I desire us to do our best and try to be our best, but I desire mostly to see God's Spirit pour out in this place. So finally, verses 29 through 34, the Lamb of God, his introduction of Jesus Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John came the next day. And John gives us a timeline here. 
And he'll do it next week. We'll read about the next day again. He's given us a timeline. On day one, John was preaching and the Pharisees sent men to question who he was. On day two, he proclaims Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John doesn't go into detail about his baptizing Jesus, but he does go into detail about John's introduction of Jesus. He calls him the Lamb of God. And I find this interesting that in the Old Testament, we find 102 times the word lamb appears in the singular form in the Bible. Seventy of these times are found in the Old Testament. First, it is twice used in connection to Abraham when he offered his only son Isaac as a sacrifice to God in Genesis chapter 22. We also find uh, great messianic overtones in that offering. The lamb is found six times in Exodus chapter 12, speaking about the Passover lamb, and once it's referred to as lambs. And what I find interesting in that passage is that Moses instructs all Israelis, every family, to take for yourself a lamb. So we have multiple lambs, but when they kill the Passover lamb, it's singular. It's speaking about Christ. The Passover has significant connections to Jesus, the Lamb of God. From Exodus 13, 13 to Numbers 28, 14, Lamb is mentioned another 46 times, and it's connected to the various Mosaic offerings that were in the law itself, the sacrifices that they offered. In 1 Samuel 7, verse 9, when Samuel judges over Israel, the Bible tells us he took a suckling lamb and he offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And God responded by giving Israel victory over the Philistines at that event. Next, we read in 1 Samuel 17, uh, David refers to a lamb twice when he recounts to King Saul how God used him to deliver his father's lamb from the mouth of a lion. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it's Nathan, the prophet, who came and used the word lamb three times in that portion of Scripture that tells us about David and his ultimately confessing his sin with Bathsheba. The word lamb is only found ten more times in the Old Testament, and only three of these are connected to Jesus. Two of them have referred to Jesus' messianic kingdom. In Isaiah eleven six, Isaiah 65, 25, I'll read, one to you, Isaiah eleven six. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fastling together, and the child shall lead them. The third prophecy, perhaps the most famous messianic prophecy, Isaiah fifty three seven. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughterer, a sheep before its shearers silent, so he opened not his mouth. Of the 32 times lamb is, appears in the New Testament, 30 of these refer to Jesus Christ. And twice we read it here in John 29 and verse 36, the lamb of God. Verse 29, who takes away the sin of the world. And in verse 36, behold the lamb of God. Under the Mosaic law, each time a person, a people group, a nation sinned, 
whether intentionally or unintentionally, the worshiper had to bring an appropriate offering to the Lord. Today, God has made available to us the appropriate offering is through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all we need to do is look to Jesus, look to the Lamb to find forgiveness and restoration from God. 1 Peter 1.19 speaks of the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and of spot. John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On Pentecost, Peter declared that there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Acts 4.12. And John tells us in 1 John 1.7 that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, he came and baptized with water. I'm reading the verse and I'm realizing I'm missing a page of notes at the same time. It troubled my head at that moment. So let me read. We'll get through without the notes. But let me read Hebrews 9.14 correctly to you this time. Now that I know that I'm missing my last page of notes. How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God, through John the Baptist, reveals the mission of Christ. He takes away the sin of the world. He says, I did not know him, verses 30 and 31. I did not know him, but this is he who comes after me and preferred before me. Now, this is the third time that he says this. He comes after me. He's preferred before me. I didn't know him, but he is here. This takes away any possibility that John and Jesus kind of cook things up on this. Thank you. Final page. You were thinking I would be done early then. Dave spoiled it for you. <laughs> but Jesus and John, I believe they knew one another as cousins. I believe they knew of one another, no doubt. But John didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He had to be revealed to him as well. He came baptizing. The Holy Spirit directed him what to do. He said the Messiah will come. When the Messiah comes, these are the things that you are going to see. And the Spirit would give testimony to John. So he says, I did not know him, but I came baptizing that he might be revealed. God's chosen people, it was necessary that the Messiah would be revealed to the people of Israel at the first coming. It's necessary again that Messiah at the second coming will be revealed to the Jewish people. And it's amazing to this day that after 2,000 years without a homeland, and we know that they have a homeland now that's being contended by so many nations, but that the people still exist. And I believe it's all part of God's plan. Fulfillment of Scripture. John came in Malachi 3, 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. 
at the Lord his coming. And John testifies, I have seen and testify, verses 32 through 34. He says, I bore witness. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Can you imagine John waiting for that moment? He had been instructed through the Holy Spirit that you are going to see the Holy Spirit descend upon someone and the Spirit is going to remain upon him. I, I don't know if uh, the Spirit came down on people and then left. You know, it's like, ooh, he's, nope, not the one, didn't remain. Uh, we don't know, but there was something unique about this. John was anticipating it, that one day I will see the Spirit come upon a man, and he will be the Messiah. The Spirit will remain upon him. And Luke tells us a little bit more about it in Luke 3, 21 and 22. We get the backstory from John. We get the event from Luke. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And the voice from heaven came and said, You are my beloved Son in whom you are well pleased. And it's not that Jesus needed to be baptized. He was without sin. There was nothing to prepare his heart for. He's the Messiah. Yet he did so that he might identify himself with whom those he would die. One of the ways that Jesus accomplished this was by submitting himself to the baptism of repentance. Although separate from sinners, Jesus humbled himself to be baptized by a sinner as if he was a sinner. In the four gospel accounts, we find that Jesus, the Son of God, he was praying to his Father while he was being baptized. And at the same time, God, the Holy Spirit, descended upon him and, according to John, remained upon him. There was also the voice that came from heaven. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this is just a great picture of the triunity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all seen together at the baptism of Jesus. And I believe that the triune Godhead is always involved when a child of God is being born. And John was faithful. He was faithful to testify to his generation of the Messiah's coming. And I just want to ask, are we faithful to share Jesus with our generation? To this day, people have questions about Jesus. And if you start talking to people about Jesus and asking their opinions about who Jesus was, who he is, you're going to find a lot of different answers. There are those who will totally reject any historic Jesus whatsoever, that he never existed. It's not true, even though all of history has changed because of him. Others will confess that he was a great moral teacher, but not the only begotten Son of God. Others will believe that Jesus is one of the many ways to heaven, but not the only way to heaven. But to those who believe that in Christ alone, we find redemption, forgiveness of sin, and salvation. They will also find that they are kept by the power of God 
through faith for salvation that will be revealed in the last times. They were asking the question to John, who are you? But John turned it around and he gave testimony to the Lamb of God. Maybe people will come to us today and they'll ask, what are you all about, man? What makes you tick? In our response to them, could it be that we are followers of Jesus Christ? It's Jesus that I'm all about. It's Jesus that makes me tick. It's Jesus that I want to live for, and it's Jesus I want to share with you. Father, help us to be such a people who are willing to be bold like John the Baptist was. Lord, his work cost him his life, but he was willing to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to his people in his day and age. Yet, Lord, you have called us to be a witness and a testimony that we too may be able to present to others, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May that be our heart's cry, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.